You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So as you can tell, we're having a little bit of a different service today. We actually have many of the kids in service with us today. So it is a bit of a different uh, message, but we're so glad that you're here. It's a special day, and it being Mother's Day, we just want to honor all moms and grandmothers out there and any woman who's had any influence on anyone whatsoever. Barb, I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) So I want to encourage you to do something special for your mom or maybe for someone who has influenced you. And whether it's your wife or your grandma or um, a woman that you've known who's been a motherly influence in some kind or some capacity, make sure that you take the time to let them know how much you love them and how much you appreciate them today. Now, a mother will go to great lengths to take care of her children. Great lengths she will do. And oftentimes, the sacrifices that she makes on behalf of her children, they will cost her a great deal. Sometimes the sacrifice will cost her physically. Sometimes the sacrifice will cost her emotionally. And maybe other times it will be all of the above and then, then some. But whatever the sacrifice, it's worth it because children are a gift from the Lord. So while the mother will have to make sacrifices for her child, her child's going to have a responsibility too. And that responsibility is outlined in both the Old and the New Testament. We are to honor our father and mother. That goes for all of us. There is no condition placed on this command. In other words, there is nothing that a mother or a father has to do to earn our obedience to this command. We are to obey it simply because God said it, period. Now, moms are not perfect. None of us are perfect. We don't obey out of duty or simply by doing what we've been told. That's not honoring them. We obey because we love and we respect them. It's the motivation behind the obedience. That's what truly matters. And when that motivation is love and respect, then we are honoring them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 says, We are to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, I know some of you kids know this verse by heart because I remember you had to memorize the entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 6 in Classical Conversation CC. So I'm going to ask, which kid knows the very next verse? What is the promise? Colby, you know it? What is it? Amen. That's right. There it is. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. So how many of you want things to go well for you? How many of you want to live a long life while you're on this earth? Then honor your father and your mother. We should all memorize these verses. And the next time that you're tempted to not do or say what your mother has asked, simply remember these verses now sometimes we're just too hard on our moms and sometimes moms are just too hard on themselves perhaps we need to ease up on our mother's imperfections and simply give her some grace i'm confident that our moms have given us grace they've overlooked probably a ton of imperfections in all of us so we should do the same towards them 
And one way to help us do that is to reflect on the lessons that your mom has taught you over the years. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, the greatest lessons that I've ever learned were at my mother's knees. How true that is. Now, I've watched my wife pour into our son, and I'm amazed all the time of what a wonderful mother she is. Where are you, honey? Or in the back? I can't even see you. I don't like that. Oh, she's in the room. Okay. Well, I just know that I am so encouraged by her because she is so patient. She's so loving and so kind to him. And she's made tremendous sacrifices for him. You know that, right, son? He's sitting right in the front row, if you guys don't know. He's right here. I've seen him learn so much from her, and I am truly thankful. And I know many of you could say the same thing or something similar about a mom that you've seen. Being a mom, though, isn't without challenges, is it? Right? Amen. It's hard work at times. It can be stressful. It can be exhausting, especially you stay-at-home moms. I have the utmost respect for you taking care of a kid all day long. That's not easy. I've seen it firsthand in my son, and he's just one. Some of you have a bunch of youngins running around. (laughs) Sorry, I can't help but think of you every time that I'm thinking about that. They've got six kids in their home, man. Those of us that have less than that have no reason to ever complain. (laughs) By the end of the day, you're just spent. You got nothing left. And it's like, hey, I can't handle one more problem today. I just want to encourage you that if you feel like that, God has wisdom for you no matter what you're going through. Whether you're a single mom, a stepmom, an adoptive mom, a mom managing special needs, or whether you're not a mom at all, whatever the situation, God has answers for your problems. He does. No matter what you're facing, God can help you. He can teach you, and he can comfort you if you'll just press into him. If you'll just draw close to him, his word says that he will draw close to you. But one thing that's special about moms is how deep their love goes for their children. A mother's love is all about sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. She has to be willing to give some things up to be a good mom. And moms do give up so much for us. They give up their time. They give up their resources, their personal goals, their sleep, and so much more. We honor our moms because of their great love for us and for all they've done for us. The sacrifices and the giving that moms make and do should remind us of God, who gives us life, who gives us everything that we are and everything that we have. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. Jesus died in our place for our sins so that we would have the free gift of eternal life. That's true sacrifice. That's true love. And there is an incredibly interesting story about Jesus' sacrifice that I'd like to share with you today. And some of you may know this story. But for some, it may be something new. But regardless of whether you've heard this before, it's absolutely amazing. So here we go. As Jesus hung there on the cross and was close to death, one of the last things that he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And at first glance, this is a very puzzling statement. Why would Jesus say this? Why would he seemingly question God's will here? One of the most common interpretations of this verse says that Jesus said this because of the anguish that he experienced at that very moment. This was the moment that he took on all the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. He became the final and complete sacrifice for everyone. And what has more commonly been taught is that at this moment, God had to look away from his son because of all the sins that he bore. Or that the anguish that Jesus was feeling at that moment was due to his father abandoning him because sin cannot coexist in the presence of God. But what if I told you there's actually a much deeper meaning than all of this? What if I told you that perhaps these words that Jesus said from the cross weren't really about anything I've said so far? Because perhaps these words that Jesus said were simply him preaching his final and most important sermon right from the cross. Now, why would I say that? Let's turn to Psalm 22, and I'll show you why. If you've got your Bibles, Psalm 22. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them here on the shelf. You can follow along on the screen, your mobile device. Psalm 22. Here's what it says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the exact words that Jesus said from the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, right? They're identical. We're going to come back to that. Just hold that thought for a minute. Let's look at the rest of Psalm 22. It says, Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted you and were not ashamed. What this psalm is saying here is that God is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He can be trusted because he always delivers. Look at verse 4. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried out to you, and you delivered them. In other words, God always comes through for his people. Always. I know many of you are waiting on something right now. You're waiting on a decision to be made. You're waiting on God to heal you. You're waiting on an answer from God. I just want to encourage you. God always delivers his people. Now, he may not deliver you in the way that you'd think or maybe in the way that you want, but he always delivers his people because God is trustworthy. So as Jesus hung there on the cross about to die, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This wasn't a question as much as it was a clue to everyone who had ears to hear. Because what Jesus was doing is he was pointing right back to the prophecy written in Psalm 22, verse 1. So Jesus is really saying, hey, what was promised 1,000 years ago, which is when Psalm 22 was written, has now just come to pass at this very moment. And those with ears to hear would recognize what Jesus said. 
Because in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture, rabbis, they would teach from the synagogue, and what they would do is they would read what was written on a scroll. Now, they didn't have Bibles back then like you and I do. They didn't have this perfectly bound Bible in leather with an Old and New Testament indexed with chapter numbers and verse numbers. They didn't have that. They didn't have the complete Bible. They had what was written on a scroll. So when the rabbi was teaching, he would read from the scroll. And what was even more amazing is people knew the word of God. They knew it so well, in fact, that they had much of it memorized. And so when a rabbi was not in the synagogue and he was teaching, what he would do is he would be out with someone, he'd be talking, and what he'd do is quote the very first verse of a particular passage. And guess what? Everybody knew exactly what he was saying because they knew the whole rest of what he was teaching. It was like a clue for them to know what else was said. And you know what else? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. So when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All those with ears to hear would know that he's quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. And knowing that gives us the right context to interpret what he meant. And what Jesus was doing is he was simply reminding all of us that God always delivers his people he is trustworthy even at that very moment as he was about to die all looked lost everything seemed hopeless but in these words that jesus uttered from the cross he was giving all of us a clue that all is not lost i will deliver you just as i promised you psalm 22 is written in the first person It's the very words of Jesus himself. Now, although King David was the one who actually wrote those words down, we know that God spoke them to him. We know this because when you read 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it is God-breathed. God's word, all of it is God-breathed. So all Adam, or excuse me, all he had to do, King David, was write down what God gave him and those were the very words of jesus because what was written it was written in such a way that it would be exactly what jesus would experience one thousand years later as he hung from the cross it was a promise he promised by god and a prophecy fulfilled by jesus isn't that awesome man that is good now i don't want to minimize in any way what jesus was feeling at that very moment as he hung there suffering on the cross for our sins. I don't want to minimize that at all. But what I do want to say is that when we understand the actual cultural context behind what is said in, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can know that Jesus was not questioning God. He was not questioning God's will for himself at all. He was simply saying what was written about him in Psalm 22 has just now come to pass. And he was also pointing to greater truth that we're going to see here in a minute. You have to love the fact that Jesus, even in his final moments of his life, he was still preaching hope in God and that all would not be lost. But there's even more hidden in Psalm 22. So let's keep going. Psalm 22, verse 7. It says here, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. 
That was the prophecy written 1,000 years before Jesus' crucifixion. And then in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, we see it come to pass. We see the fulfillment of that. Matthew records that people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Psalm 22, verse 8, we see the prophecy. Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. And then in Matthew chapter 27, 40, verse 43, we see it come to pass. Matthew says, he trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Psalm 22, verse 16. Jesus says this in the prophecy. He says, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And then in Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, we see it fulfilled. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. In other words, his enemies surrounded him, one on his left, one on his right. And what is incredibly fascinating here is that Jesus prophesied that his hands and his feet would be pierced 500 years before capital punishment of the Roman crucifixion was even invented. Psalm 22, verse 17. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and they gloat. There's the prophecy. 1,000 years later, it came to pass in Matthew chapter 27, verse 36. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. 1,000 years later, Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. It says, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And on and on it goes. Prophecy proclaimed, prophecy fulfilled. So Jesus said from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not a cry of desperation questioning God. It was really Jesus saying, Hey, let me get your attention. I want to point you back to Psalm 22. As it was prophesied 1,000 years ago, it has right now just come to pass at this very moment. You see, when we study the cultural context, we get a much deeper understanding and revelation than what was just lying on the surface. But I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if you noticed this. There was one verse that we just skipped right over in Psalm 22. We started by reading the first five verses of Psalm 22. Some of you might remember that when Bentley was up here with me last week and I had him read from the Bible, he read Psalm 22, the, verse, the first five verses. But then after that, we jumped over to verse 7 and 8. We skipped verse 6. We just kept on going. But I want to come back to verse 6. I want to spend the rest of our time there together this morning on this verse because every now and then you're going to come across some scriptures that just don't seem to make any sense. So what do we do when that often happens? We just conveniently kind of step right over them, don't we? And we just keep right on going as if they're not even there. We'll just bypass them. But it's so good for us to go back and camp out on these kinds of scriptures and really seek the Holy Spirit's lead and guidance. This is where we wrestle with the scriptures. We meditate on them. We chew on them, and then we pray for wisdom and understanding 
and we allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. And when we do that, we can discover some incredibly amazing treasures that I'm about to show you today. So, who's ready for verse 6? All right, some of you are. Some of you are like, huh, I don't know. I'm telling you, this is, you thought your mind was blown already? Wait till you see this. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. These are the words of Jesus. We know that Jesus was scorned and despised by all people. We just read several verses about that just a minute ago. But what do you think Jesus means here when he says, but I am a worm and not a man? Hmm. It's kind of odd, isn't it? This is a difficult passage for sure. But this is where we dig in so that we'll understand what the actual meaning is. Now, there are two parts here. First, I am a worm. And second, I am not a man. Now, let's take the second part first. This one's a little bit easier. We can turn over to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, and that will probably help us solve what does Jesus mean by saying, I am not a man. So when we turn over there and we read this verse, it says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. You see, Jesus was beaten and bloodied so badly just before his crucifixion that he was unrecognizable as a man. So now we can understand what Jesus meant when he said, I am not a man. This simply illustrates the great pain and suffering that Jesus endured for you and I. And we should never take that for granted. He suffered, died, and was buried for our sins. And none of us deserved it. So this should compel us to live for him as we've been talking about all throughout our current message series, which we're going to come back to next week. Now let's jump back to the first part of this verse here in verse 6. Jesus said, I am a worm. What does Jesus mean here? I am a worm. Isn't that a strange thing to say? You ever said that to someone? Hey, I'm a worm. (laughs) And I don't think anyone's ever said that. Now listen, when you peel this back, when you peel back the meaning and you study the Hebrew words that are used here in this text, you're going to find something absolutely incredible. The normal word that is used to refer to worm in Hebrew is called ramah, which means worm or maggot. But that's not the word that's used here in this text. And I'm so glad and thankful for that because I don't know about you, but I'm not comfortable with calling Jesus a maggot. Are you? No, I would hope not. The Hebrew word that is used here is actually the word tola. And it has a much different meaning. Tola, as it's rendered in the English, it's most often meaning the color scarlet or crimson. But even more interesting than that is that tola refers to a very particular type of worm. And that type of worm is called the crimson or scarlet worm. So what Jesus was saying was, I am a crimson worm. Now again, why would he say this? Well, the answer is that God, in his infinite wisdom, hid the entire gospel message in the life of a crimson worm. 
And this is what makes this so fascinating is that even a little worm declares the glory of God. The female crimson worm only lays eggs once in her lifetime. So when she's ready to lay her eggs, she climbs up a tree and she attaches herself to it. Once she attaches herself there, she forms a crimson hard shell. And you can see here in the picture in the upper right, this is what she looks like when she climbs up that tree. All right, when she forms that hard shell, whether she's on a branch or she's on the side of a tree, she forms a hard shell, and that's what it looks like in that upper left. She then lays her eggs under the protective shell. When her eggs hatch, the larvae, her babies, they feed on her living body. Guess how many days they feed on her? Three days. Is that not significant? After three days, the mother dies, and her body gives off this crimson dye that permanently stains the wood that she's attached to. You can see a picture of that here on this oak tree. That stain will never come off. It'll be there forever. Not only does it stain the wood that she's attached to, but it stains all of her babies too. That's why her babies will be crimson for the rest of their lives. Now, on the, on the fourth day, the mother's tail will pull back up into her head and it'll form kind of like what's a heart shape. And then when that happens, she's no longer crimson in color. She now turns white in color like wool. And then her body will begin to flake off and fall away from the tree like snow. This is what it looks like right here. That's not the greatest picture, but she forms a white ball or a white heart shape. Now let's see the parallel from this mother worm to Jesus. This mother worm, she climbs on the tree all by herself. Nobody forces her to get up there. She does it willingly for the love of her children. She knows that when she climbs up on this tree, she's not going to come back down. She'll never come back again. Now Jesus willingly put himself on a tree. The cross that was made from a tree. He willingly allowed those nails to be driven through his hands and his feet. But it wasn't the nails that held him there. It was his passionate love for all of his children. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. It was his own choice to get on that wooden cross. Jesus could have called down 12 legions of angels to come and help him, but he didn't. So as the mother crimson worm sacrifices her life for her children, so does Jesus sacrifice his life for his children. When the mother worm covers her children by marking them with that crimson dye, this is similar to what happens with God's children being marked for life by the blood of Jesus Christ when we believe in him through our faith. Because that's the only way that we can experience salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we are saved. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
Now, one thing I've not mentioned yet about this crimson worm, we'll go back for a couple slides here. One thing I've not mentioned here is that crimson dye that's made from this worm is very, very valuable. They've used this dye to make all kinds of linens and clothing. As a matter of fact, in biblical times, they used that dye to make many of the priestly garments. And the reason that this crimson dye is so very expensive is because you can only harvest it for three days. That's the window that you have to harvest this dye. And after three days, that crimson worm turns into a white wax heart-shaped ball that looks like wool, and then it falls to the ground. And that white waxy substance that remains from the worm, it's used as a wood preservative. Some of you are familiar with shellac and all of that. It's used to preserve wood. This is incredibly symbolic. Because just as that waxy substance from the crimson worm is used to preserve the, wor- the, the wood, you and I preserve the message of the cross. We do that every time that we share it. And what is this message? It's in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and it ties this whole story together. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Who knew that the gospel itself would be on display in the life of a crimson worm? (laughs) Now we know why God said, I am a worm. Who knew that through the sacrifice this little mother worm makes for her children that we would see the glory of God? So what sacrifice will you make so that people will see the glory of God in your life? That's the question I want to leave you with today. Let's pray. God, your word is amazing. It is alive. It is active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord God, I thank you for the truth that you put before us. I thank you for the freedom that we have to dig in your word and to know it and to find treasures like this right here that just expose the glory of God. I thank you for that truth today. Lord, we honor our mothers today. We honor women who've been an influence in our lives today. We thank you so much that you have used women, these mothers, to influence us and who's pointed us to you. We thank you so much for this this mother and this crimson worm who displays the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your hidden truths like this. We love you. We praise you. We ask that you'd be with us here as we now move this service into dedicating children to you. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask my wife to come forward, and she's going to help me here. We're going to have a child dedication service. How exciting is that and how appropriate on Sunday? Uh, We're going to give the moms a little bit of time and the dads to get their kiddos. Um, But we want to invite anyone up that wants to dedicate their children. And as I said um, before earlier, they don't have to be babies. Given is going to get dedicated again today. He was dedicated when he was 
a baby. He doesn't remember. And when we dedicate him, we want him to remember that we're committing as his parents. <laughs> Get on daddy's knee. We want him to remember that we as parents are taking responsibility and pledging that we're committing to raising him in the Lord. And the same with you guys today. Ian will lead us through something here in a few minutes where we're asking um, the congregation to come up and say, hey, we're taking ownership of this as well. These are our kids. We're going to help raise them up in a community surrounded with the Lord. So those of you that want to come up, go ahead and come on up here with your families. We've got a few going and getting little ones, but Gibbon, come on up. Hey, bud, where's Blake? Oh, Blake's come. Oh, no, no, you go, Mama. You go, Mama. come right here. <laughs> come right here. There you go. We're waiting on a couple more. You guys can come up. Your dad's getting Dallas and Haven okay. and Piper and We might need a bigger Caleb, stage for her family. Up. Alana, coming up. Just saying. You guys can just spread it. Why don't we scooch down? Is there anybody else? It doesn't matter what, how old your kids are. If you want to just bring them up and dedicate them to the Lord today. Anybody else? Are we good? Awesome. <laughs> Chuck, you coming? <laughs> awesome. Anybody else? All right. Do we have par- all the parents from downstairs? All right, babe. I think you're good. All right, so first thing, let's, uh, let's look at a scripture together to kind of sums up the responsibilities of both parents and children. So this comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Some of this we saw already in the message. But children, you're to obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is right. This is the right thing to do. So we honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. That last part of that verse is really what all of this is about, is raising these children to know the Lord, and you're doing it in the Lord's discipline and the Lord's wisdom. And so this is an important time. This is an important season. So Psalm 27, verse 3 that we talked about earlier said, Children are a gift from God. We're still waiting on Dylan? Okay. There's Dylan. Hey, you got to give Dylan some grace, man. Man, I love you, brother. I don't know how you do it. You and your wife, but God bless you guys. But Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from God. They are. They're a gift. So God, in His goodness, gives children as gifts to parents. They not only have this awesome responsibility of caring for this gift, but they also have the wonderful privilege of enjoying the gift. Because children belong to God and are given by grace as gifts to parents, it's only proper and appropriate that children be dedicated back to the Lord. So we're going to do that now. There's the mic. So I'm going to go through. If we can just introduce your children, that would be awesome. You want to do that? You might have to turn that thing up. There you go. My name is Jace. Jace, okay. Walker. Walker. And what about your name? I'm Shana, and this is my husband, Corey. Awesome. Thank you. 
Okay. I'm Renee. This is Dylan. Then we have Alana, Caleb, Ashton, Daxon, Haven, and Dallas. And Dylan. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> My name is Blake. Our family includes. My name is Corn, and we are going to the trip. <laughs> I'm Sarah. I'm David. I'm Given. TJ. This is Aaron and Sierra. This is Dakota. I'm Jenna and Piper. Piper. <laughs> and Mike. I'm Megan and this is my son Lachlan. Henry. Chuck. Mike. Sharon. <laughs> All right, we got an army of people up here. That is awesome. So I'm going to address you parents first, okay? So these parents have come today, they've come to pledge themselves before God and before us as a congregation to raise these children in a way that honors the Lord. So I'm just going to ask you parents some questions, and if you'll just respond back with, hopefully, will do, or I do. Awesome. So here we go. Do you today recognize these children as gifts of God, and do you give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing for them? All right, awesome. By coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your child to the Lord? Do you vow with God's help and in a partnership with the church to provide your child a Christian home and for love and peace and to bring up your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and to make reasonable effort with patience and love to build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of our Lord in their lives? And lastly, do you promise to pray for and encourage your child that by God's grace, through their faith, that they will one day trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to follow him with their whole lives? All right. Now I'm going to turn to all of you as the congregation. I'm going to ask you a question. Hopefully you'll respond with, we will, or we will do. Will you offer your ongoing love and support and prayers and encouragement to these parents as they raise their children to know and love the Lord? Amen. All right, so may the Lord bless each child that's up here. May he bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and may he give you his peace. So I just want to close and I'm going to pray over these children if all of you could extend a hand as we pray together over these children over these parents father we thank you that you are a mighty god i pray jesus that right now you equip every parent that's up here with all the wisdom they need to raise these children to love and to honor you and may their lives glorify you in all that they do I pray, Jesus, that you'd strengthen, that you'd strengthen marriages, that you'd strengthen bonds between children and parents, and that they would live to honor and serve you and serve each other in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. You want to play that song? Oh, yes. Okay. We've got one more thing we're going to talk about. I'm going to let my wife talk about it, no, though. You, can start. Oh, you want me to start? Okay. So um, the last thing that we wanted to kind of put before all of you is just to ask for prayer upon our family. 
we had a uh, we had an interesting day yesterday, and we got some news that may lead to um, us extending our family to include a, a two-year-old little girl. So we're just asking for your prayers. We're both over 50, so I wasn't ready to go back and start over again. But, you know, God is, uh, God is so good. He is so faithful. And so we just trust and believe that His will be done, and we're willing to open our home to this little girl. And so I don't know what's going to happen this week, but my wife is flying down to Arizona to see the little girl, to meet with the guardian, and kind of work some details out. And so uh, we're just going to play it by ear to see what happens. I may fly down there Thursday. I may fly down there on Sunday. I don't know. But we're just asking for your prayers for this little girl, for this situation, and for our family. I'm not saying anything. I'll cry my head off. (laughs) All right. So we're going to close with one last song today, and uh, if you want to stand and sing this, we'll sing this together. And l- Yes, if someone will get the lights, please.